So I've been on an exercise with the uh, Alaskan Air National Guard to uh, Mongolia. Um, I've been deployed to Sierra Leone uh, to help with the Ebola epidemic. And then just recently I was deployed in the Middle East. That's the voice of Sergeant Jeff Scott, a medical laboratory technologist in the Canadian Armed Forces. Those don't exactly sound like the typical experiences an MLT may find themselves in. Not to say that life in the hospital or private lab isn't without its fair share of excitement, but life in the military is a whole other thing. In my time at CSMLS, I've gotten to know a fair number of lab professionals. Everyone has a fascinating story to tell. And that's one reason I wanted to create this podcast, to tell some of those stories. According to the Canadian Institute for Health Information, about 75% of medical laboratory technologists work within a hospital setting. That's the norm. Another 18% work in familiar settings like private labs, public health labs, and centralized testing facilities. 2% work in post-secondary educational institutions. And if my math is right, that leaves about 5% in the oh-so-ambiguous category of other. Who are these outliers, and what is their story? That is a question which begs an answer. So as we start to wind down Season 2, I'd like to focus on one of those stories. Jeff's story. So come with me as we take a closer look at a fairly unique MLT experience and explore what it's like for an MLT to serve in the armed forces. I'm Kathy Bowers, and you're listening to The Objective Lens. Jeff's story begins at the University of Alberta, where he was pursuing a Bachelor's of Science degree. Midway through the program, Jeff started to feel a yearning for something more. He wasn't sure what the more really was, but there was definitely a feeling that his academic pursuits were not quite satisfying enough. To start exploring his options, Jeff went to the recruitment office for the Canadian Armed Forces in Edmonton. He was hopeful that the military could be the experience he was craving. But after the meeting, enlisting didn't seem to be a fit for him. A little discouraged, Jeff returned to the U of A and continued on with his degree. After graduation, like many BSc graduates before him, Jeff began to question what in the world he could do for a job. That led him into the MLT program at NATE, the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. After completing the program, Jeff began working as an MLT in BC, before deciding to move back to Nova Scotia, where he was from, and began a blood banking job in Halifax. One thing I learned about Jeff, he doesn't sleep much. One night, around 3 in the morning, Jeff was up and came across an interesting job opportunity. That's right, he was job searching. At 3 a.m., Jeff came across a six-month position to work at Canadian Forces Base Halifax, better known as Staticona. He got the job, and that's where he got his first taste of what it would be like in the military. That six-month contract turned into a three-year gig. One day, his boss, the military warrant officer, came to him and suggested joining the Canadian Armed Forces as a lab tech. This time, the idea of joining the military was a fit for him. 
So Jeff said yes, and his next stop would be basic training. Okay, I'll admit that I'm not overly familiar with the realities of life in the military. So when Jeff mentioned basic training, my mind went to this. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Now get up. Get on your feet. That's a scene from the film Full Metal Jacket. If you're familiar with the film, you'll know that the six-second clip you just heard is the longest stretch from that scene I could play without having to add an explicit language warning to this episode. Movie depictions of basic training are pretty brutal, so I had to ask Jeff if that was accurate. You don't get yelled at. You don't get degraded. If anything, it's the opposite. You're you're being built up. They want you to succeed. Um, your instructors are, are going to be, at some point, your colleagues, and you're going to be working side by side. And so their biggest goal is, if you're deployed in the theater of operations with this person, they want to know that they can count on you, and they want to know that you're you know, a reliable person. And so that's all they're trying to instill. And, and again, like I said, like they're pushing you out of your comfort zone so you can learn about yourself and, and know that you can succeed. So I, I think it's actually like a, a really, really good program, and, and uh, it's certainly not as harsh as it Hollywood makes it seem. Okay, so if the movies don't really provide an accurate depiction of basic training, then what is it really like? I'll let Jeff describe it. Being pretty far removed from it now, I will describe it uh, as a great time. Um, maybe in 2011, it was, it was a long uh, 13 weeks. Uh, so you go to St. John's St. Richelieu, uh, what we call the MAGA, um, and there's about 60 people in your platoon, which is your kind of what you would call your, your graduating class. And you go through everything military, um, how to fold your clothes, how to iron your clothes, how to lace your boots, how to polish your boots, how to make your bed, um, you know, exercising, uh, how to eat really fast, first aid, uh, everything. Basic training goes well beyond the typical things a lab tech will experience in their day-to-day lives. And this is quite intentional, and it's not meant to be easy. Basic training provides the knowledge that is common to all trades and areas of the military. According to the Canadian Armed Forces, its goal is to develop, quote, a military state of mind and behavior, the mental and physical endurance and the combat skills necessary for the profession of arms, end quote. The training is physically and mentally demanding. It seeks to instill the fundamental values of the CAF. Duty, loyalty, integrity, and courage. Basic training is composed of 50% classroom training, 35% field training, and 15% physical training. The beauty of it, though, it it pushes you out of your comfort zone. uh, rappelling down a tower, um, walking across a river on a, on a small little rope. Uh, you know, we're doing a lot of navigation exercises or, you know, gas mask training, uh, weapons training, things that I would never have really come across in, as a civilian. So out of my comfort zone and, uh, you know, really great. Like push your limits and, and learn a lot about yourself. There are two paths to becoming an MLT in the military. I'll let Jeff explain. As with x-ray and lab, biomedical engineering, we are all civilian trained. So you can either be in the military um, as, another, as something else, 
apply to a civilian school and do what we call an occupational transfer. And, and so you're going through school as a military member um, or like myself, I'm, I was trained before I joined and, I, and then I, I joined the military as a lab tech. So um, a lot of trades are they're military courses, um, but with ours, it, they're all civilian based. Jeff's path isn't the most common one. Though not aware of it at the time, it did offer him some advantages. Most people will join the military and they, they're kind of given a trade. They, they can pick from a few. Um, there's certainly, they can pick from a few spots where they'd like to end up at the end of basic training, but they're, they don't know where they're going to be moving to at the end of three months. Um, and then they start their actual trades training for another year or two. And then it's, it's a long time um, before they're actually working as their trade. And for me, as a trained lab tech, the day I finished basic training was I was promoted to corporal. So that's four years off the table right there. And then one year later, um, as is normal for what we call specialty trades, uh, lab, x-ray, biomedical engineering, um, we're promoted to master corporal, our working rank. So right away, we're making the equivalent or more than what civilian lab techs were making downtown. And, uh, and you're working um, as a master corporal. So it's a phenomenal, it was a phenomenal uh, opportunity. So you've entered the military, completed basic training, and are now a lab tech serving in the armed forces. What's that like, I wondered. I asked Jeff to describe an average day. So my average day is a, a little bit different. Um, our trade, the, the lab tech trade in the military, is about 26 people. Um, there are lots of civilians uh, working at the military labs, um, and they are the absolute glue that hold us together because the military people can just pick up and go and be gone for a long time. So having the continuity of the civilians working in our labs is what holds us together. Um, for myself, um, I'm in an interesting position. I work at one Canadian field hospital in Petawawa, Ontario. And we are essentially a deployable field hospital, the only one in the country. And on uh, a relatively short notice to move, we may be moving a hospital somewhere in the world and, uh, and providing services. So my day-to-day job, um, so this morning we had a, a medals parade and awards parade to recognize people um, uh, either time spent uh, deployed or serving in the military or, or uh, really good work. Um, then before you phoned, I had a meeting about a, a pistol range, a nine millimeter range that I'll be running tomorrow. So not an ordinary day for a lab tech. Not an ordinary day indeed. I doubt many of you listening will find yourself at a pistol range tomorrow. That said, there are many aspects of the MLT role that will sound a lot more familiar. The rest of my trade, most everyone else works in a clinic. And so that's much more lab-based will be uh, people come in the morning, they take their number, you know, they'll have a requisition from the doctor, we take their blood, so the military lab techs will take blood, and then we run all routine tests in the lab, uh, a core lab, and other tests will be sent out to local hospitals. So a very familiar setting. Um, The military is essentially, we have everything that a civilian hospital would have, just a little bit different role. always tougher for the family that stays behind and I think that's true for anyone regardless of what trade you do um, my when I my first deployment to uh, Sierra Leone my wife was pregnant and 
she stayed behind for a Petawawa winter. So very cold, lots of snow. And I went to a place that was plus 50 with 100% humidity. I had asked Jeff what it was like to be deployed. I expected he would talk about the anxiety of being sent out into a potentially dangerous situation. I mean, that's what I'd be thinking about. But as you heard, he's quick to shift attention to the family who's left behind. That's who he thinks it's hardest on. You can tell. Jeff is a family man. The deployment he was mentioning was to Sierra Leone. While his wife was dealing with her first pregnancy, Jeff was heading off as part of a humanitarian mission to fight the Ebola outbreak in West Africa. The 2014 outbreak of the Ebola virus disease, or EVD, is the deadliest occurrence of the disease since it was discovered in 1976. The World Health Organization estimates that more than 27,500 people were infected during the outbreak, with more than 11,000 of those cases resulting in fatalities. The magnitude of the outbreak overwhelmed local clinics and healthcare workers. Liberia, Guinea, and Sierra Leone were the most heavily affected nations. Cases were also confirmed in France, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, Nigeria, Norway, Mali, Senegal, Spain, Switzerland, the UK, and the United States. The situation was scary. Operation Serona saw Canadian Armed Forces personnel join a UK-led mission to combat the spread of the Ebola virus disease in Sierra Leone. The first CAF personnel arrived in Sierra Leone on December 20, 2014. I asked Jeff to describe his experience. Um, I worked with the UK forces. They were the lead. Uh, and we worked in a small lab where a regular blood sample was, was a huge process. Someone would gown up um, with a full suit, face mask, two pairs of gloves. Uh, they're videotaped just so in case anything happens, we can tell where it happened and what happened. Um, they'll take blood from a patient who has Ebola or is suspected of having Ebola. That tube of blood is then was then sprayed with bleach, put in a bucket of bleach for 10 minutes, brought to me where I put it in my bucket of bleach for 10 minutes, and then we had a, like a safety cabinet where we would put it inside this little, I can't remember the exact terms, but inside this little vault, we let the aerosol set, settle for about another 10 minutes. And then from inside the cabinet in a gauntlet, I would have, by the time I touched a sample, I had four pairs of gloves on. We would reach in and take these samples of uh, these tubes of blood, spray them with bleach again, uh, run our tests inside the cabinet. Um, and it was very interesting because one person was uh, manipulating these samples and trying to pipette with, with four pairs of gloves on. And then they would dictate the results to me or whoever was recording we would handwrite the results on paper, and then we would take a picture of the results on our iPad because anything that ever went in that lab never came back out uh, in the sense that everything, all the waste was incinerated. When I left the lab, you know, I sprayed myself down, sprayed the boots, everything with bleach. Um, and then, so we would take a picture of the results, send it to another part of the camp. We would go over there, type them out, and then we would report the results. So, Looking back, Jeff is still pretty amazed by the experience. He went into it believing this would be something special and something he would be proud of. In fact, as I would learn, 
he had volunteered to go. An absolutely incredible experience and something that, I, I mean, I fought to get on, even though my wife was pregnant. I mean, we, we spoke together uh, as a family and said, like, you know, hopefully this will be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and something that we'll be proud to uh, have been a part of. Jeff is quick to point out the positives of the deployment, but I can't let go of the idea that this is Ebola we're talking about. Ebola. There had to be a little unease that came along with dealing with such a dangerous outbreak. The, the initial symptoms of Ebola are very similar to like the common cold, uh, headaches, sore throat. So your, your mind is an incredibly powerful tool, and, and uh, living with many people in close quarters, like you're, you're always going to get sick. And uh, so even getting a sore throat over there was a little nerve-wracking at times, but uh, we had lots of safety procedures in place, and you knew everything was okay. Despite the completely understandable nerves, Jeff remains very positive about his experience in Sierra Leone. And listening to him talk, you can tell he has found his something more. I was just really proud to be a part of it. Um, uh, a beautiful place, a beautiful people. Uh, the things that, you know, I think it really helps putting day to day life into perspective back here in Canada when you see how happy and, and nice those people were and what they were going through in Sierra Leone. So um, certainly, like, I a, a, a really treasure that experience. Um, something I'm uh, very proud to be a part of. At the end of his deployment, Jeff began his journey back to his family. The transition back can often be a challenge and an adjustment for those in the military. And Jeff was about to experience that firsthand. But he also had a lot to come home to. Don't forget, when he was deployed during that cold Petawawa winter, his wife was pregnant. And now, months later, his wife wouldn't be the only one waiting to greet him. But he would have to make his way home first. Coming home from Africa was interesting. Uh, because it was a, a UK-led mission, we went uh, just outside of London for what we call a, a third location decompression. And so you go somewhere and we have lectures someone comes and briefs us and say and to say like you've been away um, but your life at home has continued on without you and your family has continued their life and they may do things differently than you would have um too bad so basically go home ease your way back into your family life because it's not a seamless integration and and uh you know, it, they were. You know, you go somewhere else to to decompress. You're out of you're out of the theater of operation, and you're someone's helping you to prep you to reintegrate back in your regular home life. So we went to England. We had our courses, and then around the same time, I believe there's a it was an earthquake in Nepal, and we were sending the uh, one of our teams to Nepal. So the flights were busy. We we're having a hard time getting flights back. No one was super thrilled to have. Um, Ebola healthcare workers on their on their planes. So we ended up being in England for about seven days, and the whole time, like I just want to come home and meet my daughter. So that was uh, that was a long time uh, coming home. I remember my wife was there, and and she she we came off the bus and we shake everyone's hand, and my wife's there, and I said she gives me my daughter for the first time, and I look, and I'm like, okay, like do I kind of look like 
I know what I'm doing. Because up until that particular moment in my life, I had avoided babies at all costs. And she's like, you're fine. So then you turn around and, you're, and then immediately become that stereotypical soldier where, uh, you know, lots of pictures and you're on the cover of all the local newspapers. Um, but uh, certainly a good story, something that I'll probably bring up uh, at my daughter's wedding at some point in the distant, distant future. Life is definitely a little different for an MLT in the military from that of an MLT in a more traditional setting. For Jeff, the difference is a positive. My experience is in a civilian hospital. The lab is was removed from, uh, like, I guess what I would say, the action, like where the patient was. So prepping the samples, then there would be a runner to bring, uh, like, blood products to the patient. So what's different in the military is I'm about 15 feet away from the patient. And we have more autonomy because I'm, I'm there, I'm talking to the doctors, I'm assisting or I have an opinion saying like, this, no, this patient needs this, we need to stand up the walking blood bank or this patient needs fibrinogen. So there's more discussion, you're more involved um, and there's more, uh, you, you're just closer to what we call the recess department, the resuscitation bay. And, and uh, so that to me is the biggest difference. Like it, we're all together in, in a small small uh, hospital. The differences don't stop there. In a hospital setting, your role is a little more rigidly defined. You have more clear scope of practice. In the military, you're part of a much larger whole. And when something needs to get done, well, you do it. We are a very tight-knit group. So, and, and I mean, I go over there as a lab tech but then you're, you know, you're doing duties, you're running uh, fitness classes, you're, everyone has other roles and, and you want to be involved with as much stuff as you can. So uh, our patients generally would either arrive by helicopter or, or an ambulance. So uh, x-ray techs or whomever who may not be immediately involved in the patient are going to get the patient off of the, uh, off the aircraft. They're bringing them in. Um, we have whomever's available to help reconstitute fibrinogen or whoever can draw the blood is drawn the blood and, you know, recording stuff for us. So it's basically all hands on deck when, when we're busy and everyone is available for whatever you need. And, and uh, so it, we're definitely a, a well, I guess you would say like a well-greased machine in the sense that if there's work to do for anyone, then everyone's working. This all leads to a unique workplace culture that you probably won't find at your average hospital. There is a camaraderie and a sense of community that exists. The people you, you work with, are they become family. Uh, when I'm away or anyone's away, we ensure uh, you know, that the, the family members that are remaining behind are, you know, well, the team will go out to shovel the driveway or, you know, they'll bring over some food or everyone is always taken care of. And so that sort of uh, team, teamwork is, it's not common, I think, in, in most jobs. And, and I, I, it's just nice to be a part of. While this career is certainly one that fits well with Jeff, he does acknowledge that it might not be for everyone. That's because it is a career that has extremes at its margins. 
So while the highs can be really high, the challenges can be really challenging. What I try to say to people when I go to conferences, because I'll be in my uniform and people generally approach with similar questions, um, the pros are much more pro and the cons are much more con. Like the left and right arcs of my job are much more than a typical uh, civilian hospital job. Um, so it depends what you're willing to give up um, to, to get these pros. So again, for me, I, I missed the birth of my daughter, uh, but I've been to 10 or 15 countries in the last five years. In my experience, lab professionals are passionate people. They are passionate about their career, the role they serve, and the impact they make. They're proud of that, and they should be. Jeff is no exception. His role in the military is something he is very proud of. But it's also given him something else. Perspective. Uh, currently where I'm at, I, I feel like I have my finger on the pulse. And, and I know, like... When you listen to the news and there's stuff happening on the other side of the world and, and to a lot of people it seems so far away. And why, when we hear of an earthquake or, or anything going on in the world, I mean, we're always an email away from going somewhere. And so I, where I'm at now, I mean, I, with the walking blood bank and, and a lot of the blood stuff that we're doing, I just, it's really exciting. And every day I feel like it's, it's very, very important. So. Uh, I feel very lucky to be where I'm at in the position I'm at. I've been here for about three and a half years, so time is probably coming to an end where I'll go back to a clinic at some point, but um, just it's what an opportunity to be involved in what's going on in the world. So what do you think? Has Jeff's story inspired you to take off on an adventure of a lifetime? Would you consider joining the Canadian Armed Forces and applying your trade as an MLT in a completely different arena? I don't know about you, but the idea of visiting 10 to 15 countries does sound a little appealing, but I'm a wannabe traveler. Clearly, serving in the military wouldn't be for everyone. It's a calling. It's for people like Jeff who feel a yearning for something they can't quite put their finger on. For that something more. Is that you? I asked Jeff how you might know if life in the military may be right for you. I mean, if, you're, if you want to challenge, you want to travel, you want to do things that are cutting edge and, and not routine at all, I, I feel it's, it's worth a challenge. And I mean, in, in the same time, you're not signing up for 25 years. Like you can do it, and then if, you, if it's not for you, then you can always get out. And, and it's something that I feel like anyone who has served will always be proud of that time they served, it be it 25 years or three years, whatever it is. Um, if, if, if it's something that people have been thinking about, then I absolutely would suggest to pursue it because you don't want to look back at some point later in your life and, and realize like you had that regret. So. The Objective Lens is written and produced by Michael Grant and myself, Kathy Bowers and is the official podcast of the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science. Administrative support by Redmilla Minor. Editorial and editing support by Erica Now. For other episodes, supplemental content, and bonus material, visit our website at podcast.csmls.org. 
If you're in the medical laboratory field, you'll want to go to the website to find a link to a short quiz. By completing the quiz, you'll earn a certificate verifying professional development hours by listening to this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Come chat with us on Twitter at CSMLS or Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash CSMLS. Thanks for listening.